If you need a Bible, uh, we have ushers in the back walking around. Feel free to just raise your hand and one will be provided for you. And if you don't own a Bible, um, feel free to take this home with you. It is our gift to you. Um, we're going to be in Philippians 4.4. 4. Um, so feel free to follow with me silently um, in your Bibles or with the verse behind me here. <laughs> So Philippians 4.4 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. This has been the word of God for the people of God. Amen, amen. It's good to gather with you this morning. My name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here at Sojourn. And uh, just looking forward to diving into this one verse that we're going to look at in Philippians 4, 4 this morning. But before we do that, let's ask the Lord to bless our time in his words. Would you pray with me? Father, we come before you this morning and we come into this room with all kinds of different things going on in our lives. Maybe some of us have had great weeks this past week or two. Maybe some of us have really been struggling and anywhere in between. Maybe some of us are dealing with a lot of difficulty in our life right now. Maybe some of us are just dealing with distraction in our life right now. God, I pray that no matter where we are coming from, as we come into this gathering of your people this morning, we come into your presence. The collective body of Christ gathered together. There's something important about that. There's something special about that. And so God, I pray that as we sit and hear your word this morning, God, that you would use this time to to calm and quiet our souls. Would you calm and quiet our minds? Would you calm and quiet our hearts this morning? Would you help us to be attentive to what you want to do in us and through us today because we are gathered together? And so we ask you, Holy Spirit, to do a work. Give grace to us this morning, God. Open our minds and our hearts to receive your word today. And may you be glorified. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. You know, something I've never really gotten into very much is reality TV. Now, over the years, I'm sure I've seen a few episodes of Fixer Upper. And back in the day, watched a few episodes of Duck Dynasty. But I've never really kind of gotten into reality TV. But there's a new reality TV show that's on Netflix right now that is really popular. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Tidying up, tidying up with Marie Kondo. In case you don't have Netflix or you don't know what I'm talking about, the premise of this show is that author and consultant Marie Kondo comes into people's homes to help them to organize their home and their life. I mean, literally organize stuff, get rid of things, fold clothes in a certain way, store things in a more efficient way. Now, The Atlantic Magazine speaks more elegantly about the show. They write this, The organizational guru's new Netflix series isn't about judgment, decor, or the spectacle of mess. And catch this line. It's about cultivating empathy for the things that surround us. I don't even know what that means. (laughs) Empathy for your stuff, I think is what it's trying to say. But how American of us, right? That That we want to sit around and watch other people clean their homes instead of maybe doing that in our own lives. Well, one of the key things that she says, one of the key things that she encourages clients to ask themselves as they're tidying up their homes is, does that thing spark joy? Does that thing spark joy? She even says in her promotional video on her website, 
I quote, if you want to lead a life that sparks joy, there is only one thing you must do, and that is to tidy your home. In fact, the mission of her organization is simply this, to help more people tidy their spaces by choosing joy. Joy. Now, the basic definition of joy, the dictionary definition of joy is a feeling of great pleasure and happiness or delighting in something. For Marie Kondo, the path to joy is tidying. Now, as we come to our text today, just this one verse, we see that Paul, the author of the letter to the Philippians, also calls us to joy. In fact, he calls us to the act of joy or joying, which is rejoicing. Now, when I was outlining the book of Philippians, thinking about how to preach through this, as I got to this verse, I stopped and I thought, man, this, I think this just needs to be one sermon, just on this one verse. And here's the reason why, because joy is something that we all long for. The joy in the midst of our life is something we all long for. But I'm not sure that we always know what it really is. I'm not sure we always know where it's really found. And the world that we find ourselves in offers us all kinds of paths to find it and replacements to substitute for it. And what this short verse in Philippians does is it grounds us in what joy is. It it grounds us on where joy is found and it grounds us in how to fight for it. And so that's the main focus of our time together this morning And because you and I live in the world that we live in that's filled with many messages and much distraction, my hope is is that we open God's Word as we spend time in this one verse this morning that God will use this time to clear away some of that and hear the voice of God through the Spirit of God as He uses His Word to impact our lives so that you and I, as God's people, can be the most joyful people So with that, let's open up to Philippians 4, and may God bless the preaching of his word this morning. Philippians 4 is not a super long chapter in the book of Philippians, and the book of Philippians, the letter to Philippi, is not a very long letter, but chapter 4 is especially challenging in what Paul writes to us here, this final section of this letter. And, And I would say, I would guess that if you've been around the church for a while, if you've studied God's Word, that Philippians 4 probably has some of the most familiar texts in it in this whole book. And we saw this already, this challenging kind of mindset that Paul is throwing out to us as he wraps up this letter in what we looked at last week, that Paul calls us, using the example of a specific challenge that's going on in the church at Philippi, to challenge us to resolve conflict in a way that is honoring to Christ. So at first glance, this one verse may not seem particularly challenging, and I think there's a reason for that. So there are certain phrases and sayings and verses that are thrown around in Christian circles, said with good intentions, maybe seeking to encourage one another, maybe sometimes seeking to placate one another. But sometimes those things are said, but we don't really know what they mean. We don't really think about how to actually apply them in the right way to our lives, Romans 8.28 is one of those verses, right? God works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Sounds good. Do we know what it means? There's another verse coming up in just a, a little while in Philippians 4 that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Do we know what that verse means? Do we apply it correctly to our lives? And then I think Philippians 4.4 can also be just like that. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. We can read it. Maybe you've even memorized it, 
We were joking around this week about, man, am I memorizing Scripture? Well, I hope I at least know this one. It's not very long. Some of the same words are repeated in it. There's a little of the childhood song you knew growing up. If you grew up in the church, you know this verse, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice, right? Like we, there's all these little things we have, but when we read it, we hear it, we sing it, we say it, we, do we just do that and we quickly move on from it? And God, what are you actually saying to me in this? What am I supposed to do with this? I'm not giving it much thought. Well, this morning we get to dive into that. What is Paul actually communicating to us? What is really going on here? We have to remember, Paul's writing to a church, a people that he cares a whole lot about. And this one short, repetitive-sounding sentence is an exclamation and an exhortation that's full of emotion as Paul seeks to encourage the Philippians, as he seeks to encourage us. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Now, the very first thing that I want us to see, that I want us to acknowledge in this, is that this is not a suggestion. It's not a recommendation for us to, to make us feel better, like Paul's suggesting you take a multivitamin, right? Like, hey, it'd be good for you if you did this, so just take this and it'll help your life be better. No, what Paul's saying here is a command. It's a command. He's telling the Philippians to do something. He's telling us to do something, and he intends for us to obey And so this is so important for Paul. He's already mentioned it throughout this letter in various points and various places in Philippians 3.1 that we looked at several months ago. He says, finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Paul cares a whole lot about this, this idea of having joy in the Lord, rejoicing in the Lord. So what does he really want us to do? Well, rejoice means to be full of joy, to have joy, to to do joy. It's to have delight, to to be glad. The biblical idea of joy is this kind of deep inner peace that God gives us. If we go to Galatians chapter 5, we see joy is a fruit of the Spirit, something God gives to us when we're filled with His Holy Spirit. And so our rejoicing isn't just some kind of disconnected feeling, some disconnected emotion. It's not a fleeting thing in our life. It's to be a rejoicing in the Lord, rejoicing in Jesus. And so it's important for us to see that the source of our joy, the anchor of our joy is rooted deep down in the character and nature of Christ. If we're going to delight in the Lord, if we're going to be glad in the Lord, that has to be rooted in the character and nature of Jesus. And this is extremely important for us to understand. And it's why Paul says what he says next, rejoice in the Lord always. Always, there are no exceptions, no caveats to this command. Paul is telling us, he's calling us to find joy in Jesus in all circumstances, whether those are good or bad. And he's so emphatic about this, so serious about this that he repeats himself. I will say it again, rejoice. Like if we didn't get it in those first few lines, Paul repeats himself again. This is such a significant thing for Paul to communicate. It's a significant statement. So this isn't some catchy Christian cliche that we just kind of throw around or put on a coffee mug or a t-shirt or something like that. The, The Philippians would have felt the weight of what Paul was communicating to them. Rejoice in the Lord 
always. Maybe you feel the weight of that as well. See, the Philippians are suffering. They're struggling in life and in faith. And they're facing difficulties and distractions in the world that they find themselves in. They're suffering along the way as they seek to follow Jesus. And in some way, shape, or form, all of us are in that same place. And we live in a world that's distracting. We live in a world that's calling us away from Christ constantly. That's communicating a message to us. That's preaching something to us. That's offering you other things to find your hope and your joy and your peace in. There's persecution and difficulty and all kinds of things constantly coming at us. Some of you, though, are facing this in a more acute way. You may hear this, rejoice in the Lord always. And I'm having a hard time getting out of bed in the morning. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'm having a hard time just getting through the day. Maybe it's because there's so much going on in your life right now that you feel so overwhelmed by different things that are happening, so many things that are coming at you. But I actually think that's the point for Paul. See, rejoicing in the Lord isn't something that only happens when things are good. It isn't something that only happens when things are easy or comfortable. It's actually more imperative, more important to heed this command when they aren't. One author writes, a time of suffering is a time when rejoicing in the Lord is the only way to survive. It's the only way to survive. Because it's joy in the Lord that anchors us in the midst of the storms of life. It's joy in the Lord, rejoicing in Him, that enables us to endure the difficulties we encounter. It's rejoicing in the Lord that allows us to focus in on our Savior in the midst of distraction. So in no way is Paul advocating for the power of positive thinking. That you need to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. That you need to have a a happy and cheerful and joyful attitude. He doesn't say, suck it up. He doesn't say, hey, just cheer up. Have a good day. No, Paul's emphasis on joy comes from his own experience of knowing the resurrecting power of Christ in the midst of his sufferings for Christ. We have to remember Paul's writing this to the Philippians as he sits in a jail cell for preaching Jesus. Paul's in the midst of suffering, in the midst of difficulty, and he says, rejoice in the Lord always. And so for Paul and for us, a call to rejoice always is not an attempt at levity or lightheartedness. It's a matter of life. But see, I think the problem is that in times of difficulty, in times of distraction, even in the mundane moments of life, those times when we all long for joy, we can also be very tempted to look for joy replacements. Maybe it's food and drink for you. I mean, I don't just mean that you are tempted to eat too much, though. Maybe that's a temptation for you, or tempted to drink too much. Maybe that is a temptation for you. But even that we look to food and we look to drink to give us joy, Maybe it's sex and relationships. Not even just the sexual immorality, though that may be something you're tempted towards. But even looking for sex in the confines of marriage is the thing that's going to give you joy in life. Or relationships. Not just a dating relationship or marriage, but any kind of relationship that you're looking for other people to be the source of joy for you. Maybe it's your social media accounts. How many likes and comments you get. How many people watch your stories on Instagram. 
man, if I can just get a little bit more of that, if somebody would just acknowledge the reality of my own life, then I feel joy. Maybe it's work for you or school for you. That the idea of achieving something is a source of joy for you. That you're looking to find your joy in whatever that is of being praised for your work or doing a good job in school. Maybe it's binge watching something. That if you can just get on Netflix for a little while and allow that 15 seconds between episodes to quickly pass by and oh no, all of a sudden I've watched three hours of TV. But that's a source of joy for you. Maybe it's reality TV for you. That you don't have to think about your life, you can watch somebody else's. It's all the kinds of temptations, the things that are out there, these joy replacements where we are tempted to focus on the creation instead of the creator. Things like this, though, have been a struggle and a temptation for God's people since sin entered into the world. God, the God of the universe, the transcendent and imminent God, the one who created all things, the magnificent, holy, almighty, powerful, gracious, loving, kind God makes himself available to us. He offers us to himself as the source of joy, as the source of peace in our life, yet we wander away from him over and over again, looking for all of those things in other people or places. The prophet Jeremiah speaks a timeless truth to us about this when he rebukes God's people. In Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, Jeremiah writes this, and this is the, the voice of the Lord speaking through Jeremiah. So here this is God speaking to you. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Do you hear what God's saying to you? He's saying two things are going to happen or have happened in your life if you're wandering away from him. And that's the first one is that you've forsaken him, the source of living water, the source of life. But it's not just that. You've also tried to replace him. You've built these broken cisterns in your life. A cistern holds water. A broken cistern, though, it has a crack in it and you keep trying to fill it up with stuff and it just keeps leaking out. That water goes away. Replacements for joy, replacements for gladness. And all of these things can kind of be like a quick hit of a drug. It'll make us feel better for a moment, but will not satisfy us for a lifetime. They can provide a surge of dopamine, but they won't produce a lasting, deep joy. In fact, I'd argue that they lead to the complete and exact opposite of that, that when we pursue joy replacements in our life, whatever those happen to be, that it can lead to despair and discouragement, which if that continues on in our life can lead to just an overall disenchantment with God, disenchantment with life, a a misery and apathy. See, Paul is writing this to the Philippians and to us because all of us are tempted especially in difficult circumstances, but all of us are tempted to look for joy in something else besides Jesus. So what might that be for you? When you think about your own life, where are you tempted to find joy? What is that thing? Who is that person that you're tempted to find joy in besides Jesus? Now, I don't want you to hear me saying, and I don't want you to hear the Apostle Paul saying that there's no room for sorrow in life. This is not a kind of, you know, again, cheer up and be happy. Don't worry, be happy. This is not that kind of 
of exhortation or command. Romans 12 tells us to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. So there are some things that are legitimately sad and sorrowful in life. Some of you have experienced those things in life. Some of you are currently in the midst of those things in your life right now. Chronic pain, sickness, moments of, of mental anguish and darkness. Maybe you have good desires that are just unmet. A desire to be in a marriage relationship, a desire to have children. Those are good desires, but they're not your reality right now. Maybe for some of you, you're in the midst of or dealing with a broken relationship or you're dealing with relational loss or you're dealing with real physical loss in your life. And I know that's true for some, many, that call sojourn their church. It makes me sad for you when I think about you, when I pray for you, asking God, God, would you please bring relief? Would you please bring healing and hope in the midst of my brothers and my sisters' lives? Those are real things to be sad and sorrowful about. Zach Eswine, in his excellent book, Spurgeon's Sorrows, writes this. He says, it's an act of faith and wisdom to be sad about sad things. It's an act of faith and wisdom to be sad about sad things. It it takes, God, help me to know, is this something I should actually be sorrowful about or sad about? And I think the reason he writes that to us is because we've read Philippians 4.4 in the past. We've heard it, we've sung it, and we think that means that I have to be happy all the time. But Jesus showed us it's okay to be sad and to have sorrow. He felt lost at the abandonment of his friends. He was Sad, felt sadness over the waywardness of his people. He wept at the grave of his friend Lazarus. So Paul's command to rejoice in the Lord always isn't a call to kind of fake it till you make it. Like, let's just pretend to have joy. Let me just pretend to be happy, and maybe then it'll all come together. No, Paul's command to rejoice in the Lord always is an invitation to you. It's an invitation to grace. It's an invitation to obedience. Because at the end of the day, no matter how good your life may be right now, at the end of the day, no matter how difficult your life may be right now, Jesus is the only person who will not disappoint you. And how do I know this? Because Jesus came to us. And he took on our humanity. And he dwelt among us. He entered into the brokenness. He walked among us. Jesus didn't just stay distant. He's not some distant deity unconcerned with the cracking of creation. No, Jesus came to redeem and he came to heal and he came to restore. He touched brokenness. He lived among it. And so it's because of who he is and what he's done that we can keep running the race in the midst of this life. It's because of who he is and what he's done that we can have joy now in this life. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. The author of Hebrews writes this to us as an encouragement. He says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight in sin which clings so closely and run the race with endurance that is set before us. Paul's saying, or the author of Hebrews is saying, let's set aside all those things, those things that would pull us down, that would distract us away from pursuing Christ. And then he says this, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, 
who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This is our Savior, our Redeemer, our Restorer, for the joy set before him. Jesus went to the cross. He endured the pain of the cross for his joy and your joy. And so the author of Hebrews encourages us in the very next verse, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3, consider him, consider Jesus who endured from sinners such hostility against himself for what reason? So that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. See, this call to rejoice always is not based on unchanging circumstances. This, This call to rejoice always is based on your unchanging Savior. Jesus, through whom you have forgiveness of all of your sin. Jesus, through whom you have unending grace supplied to you. Jesus, through whom you have unrelenting love given to you. Jesus, who continually invites you to himself to lay down your burdens, to lay down your sin, to lay down your shame, to lay down your difficulties, to come weary, to come heavy-hearted, to give it all to him, and in exchange receive rest from him. See, the joy that Paul calls us to is not not some kind of disconnected happiness that depends on your circumstances being great. And here's why. Because it isn't a call to rejoice in your circumstances. It's a call to rejoice in your Savior. To rejoice in him. To be glad in him. To delight in Jesus above all things. What that also means then is that joy in Jesus isn't something you pursue in spite of your circumstances, but in the midst of your circumstances. See, rejoicing always in a broken world takes faith too. And faith isn't a blind leap. Faith isn't wishful thinking. It isn't even believing in God. It's believing God. It's taking God at his word. And so rejoicing in the Lord always is something that depends on faith in the faithfulness of God. That he is who he says he is. That he will do what he says he will do. It's not something you muster up within yourself. Like I'm trying to be joyful. I just need to be more joyful. No, remember this is a fruit of the Spirit. It's a gift from God. He gives to you. And it's available to all of us as we seek to abide in Christ. Rest in Jesus, the one who has come and will come again. The one who tells you even now that he will be with you always to the very end of the age, even in the midst of difficulty in your life. The one who promises to come again and make all things new. But in the here and now of life, in the challenges and the distractions that come with life, joy in Jesus is something we must fight for. We have to fight for it. And I think that's why Paul says it twice. There's a seriousness to this for Paul, an intensity for him. It's not a matter of a good life being a better life, like implementing some kind of self-help regimen. This is a matter of life, period. So Paul, again, he's emphatic. If you want to find a caveat to this command, if you want to back away from this command because of the uniqueness of your life, or the uniqueness of your circumstances or struggles, Paul is declaring to you, no. No. In all things and at all times, you must fight for joy in Jesus. This is something I struggle with in my own life. 
this ongoing <clears throat> idea to rejoice in the Lord always. And I've realized even recently that there have been some pretty significant moments in my life over the last few years where I have been lacking joy. And in studying this text this week, this verse that I'm familiar with, that I've read hundreds of times before, by God's grace, I realize that I don't always take Paul's words here as a command for my life. That Paul's calling me to do something, that I should be fighting for joy in my own life, and I don't always do that. I get distracted. I seek joy in God's creation instead of my creator. But then I also realize it doesn't just affect me. See, that's the thing about not striving to rejoice always. It doesn't just affect us. It affects the people around us. It affects my family. It affects my co-laborers. It affects my church family. But it's also those people that I need to help me fight for joy. See, rejoicing in the Lord always is as much a communal command as it is an individual command. Paul's writing this to a group of people. He's writing this to Jesus' people, Jesus' church. Because a joyful community is made up of joyful people, and joyful people are a part of a joyful community. And so what does it look like to fight for joy in Jesus together? In the midst of the world we find ourselves in, I'm sure we could spend a whole lot of time coming up with many things that would be helpful for us to fight for joy. But I want to give you three practical things. And these are three things that God has been teaching me. He's been showing me and reminding me of when it comes to my own journey and fighting for joy in Jesus and all things. So the first thing is to see Jesus. See Jesus. See, joy in Jesus isn't just about increasing your knowledge about Jesus for knowledge's sake. That if you could just learn more about Jesus, just to have more head knowledge about him, more background on who Jesus is, that that'll be sufficient for you. John Piper writes in his excellent book that I would highly recommend to any of you to read. The book is called When I Don't Desire God. When I Don't Desire God. He writes this. God is glorified in his people by the way we experience him, not merely by the way we think about him. By the way we experience him, not merely by the way we think about him. And then he writes this, Indeed, the devil thinks more true thoughts about God in a single day than a saint does in a lifetime. God is not honored by it. The problem with the devil is not his theology, but his desires. Man, we need renewed desires. To, in order to have renewed desires, we need to see Jesus. And so I want to invite you to see him, to experience him, not just learn about him. Studying the word of God academically is, is okay, and it's an okay thing and a good thing to do, but if it doesn't stir your affections for Jesus, then it's worthless. And so I want to challenge you to commit to two things over the next month. Two things. The first to see Jesus is to do this, is just to commit to read your Bible every day. Now, I know for some of you, maybe like, that is a really difficult thing for me to do. I haven't opened up my Bible in, not only, it hasn't been just days or weeks, maybe it's been months for you. Maybe you've never opened it before. But I want to invite you to commit to reading it every day, even if it's just for a few minutes, even if all you can do is read one verse. So I want you to do that. I want you to commit to read your Bible every day. And the second thing is, when you read your Bible, I want you to commit to look for Jesus in it, to read it like a child. Like seek to discover Christ for the first time, even if you've known him for a long time. 
Look to see who Jesus is. Look to see how he speaks and see how he acts. Read the Bible in a way that allows the Bible to read you. That you wouldn't just read it for information's sake, but for transformation. That you'd read it to encounter your risen and living Savior. To discover him, to delight in him. And again, that's an encouragement to you whether you call yourself a follower of Jesus or don't. Because the biggest question that lies before any of us in our life is who do you say Jesus is? Who do you say Jesus is? The way to answer that question is by actually seeing who Jesus is, by discovering him, by seeking to spend time with him. Now, if you don't know where to start, this is a long book. I I don't know where to begin. My encouragement, my suggestion for you is to start with the Gospel of John and read through it, however long it takes you, seeking to see Jesus in that. Invite someone to do that with you if you don't know what that looks like or how exactly to do that. For me personally, the Psalms are a treasure trove for me to seek to find joy in Jesus in all things. I I love the Psalms because the psalmists write with such emotion and just the, the rawness and the realness of life. They talk about difficulties of life. They talk about struggles in life. They talk about the sin that they're wrestling with. But at the same time, they talk about grace and they remind me of the character of God and they point me to truth. And it's all about worship, this real and honest worship before God. And so for me, reading the Psalms regularly has been a gift to me to be able to pursue joy in Jesus. See, it's when we seek to see Jesus through his word that we can experience what Psalm 1611 says. The psalmist writes, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Friends, God is speaking to you through his word. His living and active word. He's speaking to you through his word. If you want to experience joy in Christ in all things, then open up God's word. Open it up and come and see Jesus. And that leads to the second thing. As you seek to see Jesus and pursue finding joy in Jesus, let me also encourage you to speak to Jesus. That you would come to him in prayer, asking him to help you rejoice in him always. I think sometimes we can hear this, and again, we start to just pull back and think this is all on me, that I have to do this on my own, but joy is a fruit of the Spirit. It's a gift from God, so we can ask Him for it. Something that God's been challenging me just to simply pray, God, would you increase my joy in you? Would you increase joy within my family? Would you increase joy within our church? Come to Him in prayer and ask Him to do that. Come to Jesus in prayer when you're facing temptation to find joy in something or someone else. Come to Jesus in prayer and repentance when you've succumbed to sin because you've sought joy in something or someone else. Come to Him knowing that in Christ all of your sin is washed away. Come to Him in prayer knowing that He is changing you from one degree of glory to another. Come to Him in prayer to commune with your God and Savior. I mean, what would it look like if as you commit to read God's word every day over the next month, if you also committed to speak to Jesus every day over the next month, what might God do in your life? What might he do in your family? If your prayer was, God, increase my joy in you. Help me to find joy in you. Help me to find joy in for my family and for our church. What might God do with that? 
So we can see Jesus. We can speak to Jesus. And lastly, we can share Jesus with others. Now, I know for a lot of us, when we hear that phrase, share Jesus, we immediately think about sharing the good news of Christ with those who don't yet know Christ. And it certainly includes that. But when I say share Jesus, I don't mean just with people who don't yet know Jesus. I mean with people who already know Jesus too. Because joy in Jesus is a joy that's contagious. Both for those who already know Christ and those who don't yet know him. And I think it's just as important in our fight for joy. Because as we seek to encourage those around us, it can be encouraging to us as well. But as much as technology is great and we can send text messages to do that or make a phone call or post something on social media, it cannot replace the power of the ministry of presence in each other's lives. That we'd be physically present with one another. That's why it's critically important to gather together as a local church. I know you can listen to podcasts, but people that preach way better sermons than me or anybody else here at Sojourn. I know you can listen to worship music that's highly produced and excellent sounding, but that cannot replace sitting together and gathering with God's people. There is power in the presence of sitting shoulder to shoulder, standing and singing, participating and listening and receiving God's word week in and week out. And here's why, because you don't just do this for you. You're not just sitting here this morning for yourself. You're sitting here this morning listening, participating for the person next to you and the person in front of you and the person behind you. Because you may be right now experiencing joy in your life. You may be full of faith in your life, but there's someone around you that isn't. And it's your faith and your joy that it can encourage them when they see you worshiping your God and King. And if that's not you today, it might be you tomorrow. It's so important for us to gather together, to share Jesus with one another, to think Sunday morning is an opportunity for me, not just to receive, but to share Jesus with others around me. And it's actually in the moments when you're feeling in the darkest of moments, when you're lacking joy in your life, when you lack faith that you should long and run to gather with God's people. Because you know there's people around you that will lift you up and carry you to the foot of the cross. It's critically important for do that for us to do that every week. Colossians 3.16, Paul writes, speaking to the community of the redeemed, let the word of Christ dwell in you, in you as the collective group gathered together as God's people. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Paul's saying, this is good for your soul to receive God's word, to allow it to be all around you and to lift up and sing the praises of God to God and over one another. As we see Jesus and speak to Jesus, we have to share Jesus with each other. And so if you gather with the church regularly and you notice someone else that used to gather with the church regularly hasn't been here in a while, you know, a while may mean, I don't mean months, I mean weeks, can you please just reach out to them and seek to ask them, what's going on? Are you okay? Is everything all right in your life right now? And if you don't know enough people in this community to know when someone is or isn't here, Let me invite you to change that. Invite people into your life. Invite yourself into their lives. It's critical to gather together week in and week out. It's critical to be in community with people often. We don't just gather on Sunday mornings. We scatter throughout the week. We exist as the church outside of these walls. So who is in your life right now? Who knows what's going on in your life? Whose life do you know about what's going on? 
I want to encourage you to pursue relationships with people, whether it's in community group or some other way that you'd have two or three people at least in your life that you can seek to be fully known and fully loved by, and you can do the same for them. Pointing them over and over again to Jesus, letting them point you over and over again to Jesus. To run the race together, to fight for joy in Jesus together. It's in those moments that as we seek to see Jesus, as we seek to speak to Jesus, that we're able to share Jesus also with our brothers and sisters who right now are having a hard time doing either one of those things. When the darkness isn't lifting, when depression and despair is setting in, when despondency is creeping up and taking hold, as God's people, we can lower our friends to Jesus. Just like the friends that brought their, their paralyzed friend to Jesus and the, the house was full. So many people were sign, trying to see Jesus. They brought their friend up onto the roof. They ripped open the roof to this person's house who they didn't know. And they lower their friend to the feet of Jesus. Man, I long for us to be that kind of community that we would look out for one another in such a way that we would want to share Jesus and carry each other to Jesus when necessary. But that's not going to happen if we're not fighting for joy together in Christ. Sharing Jesus means that we go and we serve others in the name of Jesus. Sharing Jesus certainly means that we go to those who don't yet know Jesus. We overflow with the contagious joys. We open our lives and open our mouths to those around us. Brothers and sisters, see Jesus, show Jesus, share Jesus with others. All of those things have been helpful for me to remember who I am and whose I am. All of those things have been helpful for me to fight for joy in Jesus. And I hope they'll be helpful for you too. Paul exhorts us in this one verse, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. This is a defiant command. It's a defiant command because we live in a culture full of distractions. We live in a culture full of opportunities and things that are being offered to you, all kinds of different things to be paths to joy. It's a defiant command because Paul is declaring there's only one path to true and lasting joy, and that is in Jesus. And as one pastor writes, in a broken down world, rejoicing the Lord is not a luxury, it's a necessity. So may we be a joyful people, the most joyful people, because we recognize how great our Savior is. May we be a joyful people who are committed to keep fighting for joy in Jesus together until he returns or calls us home. And a means of grace that helps us to do that is coming to the communion table every week. In it, we are given a gift to help us fight for joy. It's a meal that we get to partake of together that points us to the greatest news of all time, that Jesus came to save us from our sin, paying the full penalty for our sin. So when you eat the bread, it's a picture of Christ's body broken for you. When you drink the cup, it's a picture of Christ's blood shed for you. No matter what your circumstances are right now, this is a spiritual refreshment to your soul that Christ is present and in him is fullness of joy now and forever. So come forward this morning. Come forward this morning, whether you are weary or doing well. Come forward this morning and taste and see that the Lord is good. And for those of you that are not followers of Christ, and we would just ask you not to come forward to partake of communion because we want you to take 
Jesus first. We want you to experience that new relationship with Christ first. This is a declaration of something that God has already done in our lives. So if you don't yet know Jesus, that invitation is open to you. Christ says, come to me. All who are weary and heavy laden, come to me and find rest. So if you don't yet know Christ, just hang in your seat. But if you're ready to start that relationship with Jesus, even if you don't know exactly what all that means, just tell God that and let somebody around you know that so that we can journey with you in your spiritual journey of pursuing Christ. For those of you that will come forward, come to the tables at the front and the tables in the back. Tear off a piece of bread, take a cup to drink, and hear what Christ has done for you, spoken over you this morning. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you and we thank you that joy is not something we have to find on our own. It's not something we have to muster up on our own. God, you give it to us as a gift of your spirit. But God, in the midst of a distracting world, a difficult world, it's something we have to fight for. And so God, I pray this morning that you'd help us to do that. Would you help us to be a people who fight for joy in Jesus always? God, make us a joyful people. With all the difficulty and distractions of life, help us to pursue that in Christ. And God, forgive us for where we haven't done that. Forgive us for where we've been led astray to look for joy replacements in our life. Whatever those happen to be, even good things that we've made the focal point of our life instead of Christ. God, would you forgive us and give us grace? God, help us to rejoice always, not in spite of our circumstances, but in the midst of them. Whether things are going well or super difficult right now, God, help us to see Jesus. Help us to speak to Jesus. Help us to share Jesus with others. And help us to be the most joyful people that ever existed because we belong to Christ, our Lord. We pray all this in his name. Amen. Come forward whenever you're ready.